Thank you for downloading this sponsored podcast presented by PR Week. For more podcasts, visit us online at prweek.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Madden. I'm the general manager of Haymarket Media's business media group. And you're listening to a special edition of a joint podcast that's coming to you from PR Week US and Campaign US. A couple of weeks ago, I was lucky enough to go to South by Southwest. It was my first time there. And I was even luckier because I got to have conversations with some incredibly smart people, two of whom are with me today. Joining me on the podcast is Sean Francis, head of creative for We Are Socially US, a plus company. Hey, Sean. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Nice to see you again. You too. Or to hear you, depending (laughs) depending on the medium you're choosing. My other guest is Laura Oxford, Global Head of Cultural Insights for We Are Social, also a plus company. Laura, how are you? Hey, I'm good, thank you. How are you doing over there in... I'm in fabulous New Jersey, which is not nearly as fabulous as where Laura is joining us from. She's in Sri Lanka, so she wins on on the exotic geography bit. Oh, yeah. Good time zones, good timing, but still good chats. That's right. And one of the things we chatted about was how technology brings people together. And I can't even think this is so meta, right? Like <laughs> we've got people astride the globe and uh, here we are recording a podcast. So when, when, we, when we met, we were part of a panel that was talking about the nature of fandom. And that was sort of the, the reason for being for us to get together at South by, but then we sort of spread out and, you know, took in the, the rest of the festival and, I wanted all of us to get together again to talk a little bit about what some of the key takeaways were. Like, what did you learn at your at your time there? Laura mentioned that she had sort of crowdsourced some questions from people about like what what did they find that the key takeaways were, and uh, one of them was that uh, connect connection and empathy are more uh, and more more important than ever because this this very technology that we're using to bring people together can also be incredibly polarizing and and fragmenting. So I just wonder, you know, what your thoughts are on that? What examples of it did you see itself by? Uh, What have you been thinking about it in a couple of weeks since? Sean, you want to want to try that one first? Yeah, sure. I think um, the thing I think about is like, you've got to keep people at the center of everything you're doing, like right alongside the strategy. Right. Because I think it's so easy for us to, um, when we're interacting with each other online, you think you're dealing with an avatar. People kind of go through this thing where, you know, Oh, I just said it on Twitter. It's not real life, but we've kind of gotten to this mode where that's how we're thinking. And I think as individuals, as marketers, and as brands, you have to kind of pull back from that and and really think about everything we're doing is 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 for people. We're talking to people, actual human beings, and to not be so, um, you know, so so single single minded on you know the strategy or KPIs and all these other things that don't have to do with the actual being that's on the other end of other end of the screen, um, and you know. Social media at the end of the day is about bringing people together, right? Social is in the name of the of, of the genre. You can't really bring people together um, if everyone's at each other's throats. I think there's so many opportunities, um, and not just you know, not just for a brand to sell more of their product, but for their brand to feel like a beloved brand 
there's so much more opportunity in, in being a medium for rallying people together, bringing people together, building a community around your brand, but also being able to um, do some good in the world and and use doing some good in the world as a reason for people to have more brand love for you. And I think we're seeing a a lot of that right now. I mean, we've probably seen it. uh, I feel like in America, at least we've seen it since the the 2016 elections where, um, you know, brands have have, have waded into waters they previously would stay away from, right? You didn't want to get too political. You never wanted to talk about social issues or religion. You wanted to be everything to everyone, but um, the, those days are gone. And now, you know, especially with younger consumers, Gen Z consumers, uh, what your brand stands for is almost as important of as important as what your brand is selling them. You know, mm-hmm. they've got a lot of choices out there. They can buy a, a soda from three, four, five, six, seven different companies, but the company that most aligns with their 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 values is the one they're going to choose. And I think showing empathy and, you know, showing how your, your brand can not only help make, you know, it sounds lofty, but, you know, make the world a better place, but also make social media in particular a better place and a more positive place is a, is a, is a huge, a huge thing we can do right now. I feel like that's like the, that's about the kind of age old tension with, with all technologies and especially social technologies as well, isn't it? Like we saw it so much in at South by where it's like, these incredible connecting tools that can make us feel so together and, you know, keep you in touch with all the people that you would have otherwise lost touch with and, you know, family members and all of that stuff at the same time can be so polarizing. We saw it with the the Frances Haugen, the Facebook whistleblower talk. She talked a lot about the kind of, um, the kind of the ways in which um, meta platforms and a ton of other social platforms can, can kind of enable fragmentation and atomization in societies and, um, that's, there's a really kind of, you know, there's an ever present narrative, right. That we're, we're really kind of facing. And I think, especially for our, our brands on social as well, it's like, where do we stand on this thing, which seems to be fragmenting society. Um, but it's really interesting because I was thinking about it with relation to, there was another guy, uh, David Brooks, the New York times columnist, yeah. who is like one of my all time faves. He did a talk on social trust and he's, he's been talking a lot about social trust, over the over recent years and he kind of came up with this wealth of statistics around like you know the um we don't talk to our neighbors as much anymore the studies suggest loneliness is higher than ever suicide rates are up all of these like really awful statistics um but what i found really interesting was that he was talking about how in a world where it feels like nothing is trustworthy and everything is lonely and um you know like you can't trust your neighbor let alone someone you see on the street um like he talked a lot about how like fundamentalist politics and the notion of like in groups and out groups um kind of give the illusion of belonging right because like when there's us versus them like the us is really appealing like the the idea of kind of really having camaraderie with people that share your belief systems um but he talked about how this kind of um ultimately replaces chaos with with hatred um and with warfare and we're seeing this play out in a ton of different ways, obviously, um, with responses to the pandemic, responses to Russia and Ukraine. Um, and it just made me think a lot about, um, I don't know whether you saw recently, but on Reddit, there was recently this thing called Our Place, which was mm-hmm. essentially like it's a big canvas where communities had to band together to take over parts of the canvas. It was really interesting because it was a space where communities like the in-groups, the us's, had to come out into the public space together 
um, and and kind of compete like a sports team would, right? Um, and I think this idea of like in in these kind of social communities that we find ourselves in on social platforms and these digital communities that we find ourselves in around politics or fandom or whatever. It's like, remember that there's a them as well and find spaces in which you can connect with other communities and remember that there are people outside of you. Um, yeah, I just, I think, I think that's one of the most interesting kind of takeouts that, that I had from the whole, the whole time that we were there. And I'm really hoping that in the coming year, we'll see more communities kind of look beyond themselves um, to try and remember like the context within which they were born and, and why what they're doing is important. So that leads yeah. pretty naturally into, into, the next question, which is about diversity and inclusion. Um, you know, how, how do you, if you're building a community that's very much about us, how do you make sure that people are included who might not necessarily be exactly like you? Uh, how do we avoid, how do we avoid, actually, I, I would spin it, I'd flip it, not say, how do we avoid, how do we use the technology to our advantage to further diversity and inclusivity issues? Yeah. Um, I, I was recently thinking about there's a, um, a, a platform called Nowhere, which is this, this browser-based like 3D meetup platform, basically. I find this one very interesting because they, they've made it so people, you don't need a crypto wallet you know, full of Bitcoin or whatever to join. You don't need an NFT to join. Um, you know, while there are, there, there are some NFT integrations, it's not a requirement to have one of these to join this community. And that kind of lowers the technical and financial barriers. So I think with a lot of this stuff, it's, there's sort of this, this wall there that affects different communities in, in different ways. Um, but it also lowers the knowledge barrier to entry, which I think is one of the things that kind of holds back the metaverse and, and, and Web3 right now, because... Like when you take a, a step back and look at it through layman's eyes, you know, for some of these spaces, you need to know what crypto is. You need to know why you need it. You need to know when and how to get it before you can buy that NFT that gets you entry. And then you also need to know, well, what's an NFT? Why do I need it? Where do I get it? How do I get it? You know, right? So for some of these platforms, like you may need to figure out two or three different sort of emerging mediums, if you will just to participate in the one platform that you're actually interested in. Um, mm. I, I think that's, I think education is a, a huge thing. Like the only way we're, the only way I really see these things taking off, like web three and the metaverse, like really taking off is we'll get to a point where, you know, there are people, people talking about them outside of quite frankly, the world we're in, right. It's not just marketers. It's not that's just right. tech. People, yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like the, the way we address it is we've got to get it to a point where it, it doesn't feel like someone who's already to the average person feels like they're already in, in, in sort of this um, gated community of it or the people talking about it. Well, that's the problem with both three in general, isn't it? Because it's so, um, you know, all of the stats point to the fact that like 95% of NFT sales went to um, men last year. I don't know what the stats are when it comes to race and ethnicity and, and, and sexuality and the rest. But I know that obviously Web3 is a space which is dominated by the tech elite, many of which are also white cis men. Um, and there, there is a kind of natural lack of diversity in this space. It was actually really interesting at South by to see, especially on the panels that weren't, because obviously South by is 
is historically a, a music festival, right? And so it's interesting that it's kind of evolved into a tech festival over time because that's kind of the creator economy has has led us to that, right? It's led us to the point where musicians are just as interesting, interested in learning how to build their own communities using Web three as brands are, because that's where we're at in the kind of the the, the kind of life cycle of create creativity. But it was really interesting that you say about education because so many of those panels, I went to a really amazing one, especially about um, women in Web three, and actually so many of the panels at, at South by were like super, 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 like like just like amazing diverse voices. But they were talking about how democratizing education for people who aren't in the places where you would usually learn. Because all the people who have access to all of the educational tools around Web3 and NFTs right now are the same people who are uh, kind of gatekeeping culture from before. And so I think democratizing education around this space and finding ways to actually engage not the typical kind of Web3 user it's going to be really interesting. And there's actually, there's a community called Web3 Baddies, which is definitely founded by like, like the font is, it's all like pink with like emojis and the font is in comic, comic sans, but it's a Web3 community um, for um, black and brown bodies and for um, women and queer people to just basically learn on their own terms about Web3. And I think that's definitely going to be something we see coming through more and hopefully like earlier than what than it had web one and web two i guess so when we're talking about um web 3.0 we also have to talk about the metaverse and always um how do we how do we make sure that the metaverse and this brave new world that we're looking at how do we make sure that that doesn't become like nfts uh you know the 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 province of of just white guys Yeah, I mean, I feel like the metaverse is a weird one as well because there's so much that we still need to unpick, right, in terms of what, um, like even representation, what does representation and belonging and inclusivity mean when you can present however you want when you're online and people can present themselves, you know, like when your online self and your offline self don't necessarily need to like sync up. I think I think it's still like a total wild west and I don't think anyone really probably has the answers right now. There's just a lot of speculation. Yeah, the metaverse is it's it's funny because you know I, I actually do think at some point we will have a fully realized like Ready Player One style metaverse. Um, I think we'll get there, but you know, yeah, kind of like I said before, I, I've yet to have a real life conversation with someone about the metaverse that wasn't either in tech or marketing or branding or advertising, whatever. Like 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 my barber. He's not talking about the metaverse, you know, yeah. and it's, it's not hap- it's not there yet. So uh, I think there's just like a lot of groundwork that needs to be done um, before we get to that point. I've yet to have a conversation of, about the metaverse with someone who hasn't referenced Ready Player One. So, right. Yeah. I mean, I think wow. that's 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 our baseline level of understanding. That's where we're at right now. Yeah. I think there's also something really funny in this. This just reminded me, um, Sean, you saying that of like, um, so, you know, uh, is it Chris Smalls who's just organized like the first successful like, Amazon union? Mm-hmm. Yep, um, now in New York. Yeah. Yep. And he, he, someone quoted him saying, we want to thank Jeff Bezos for going to space because while he was up there, we were organizing a union. Which is just, for me, such a flawless embodiment of like what you're just saying about the fact that like, like right now, 
like there is like a small faction of the world that's like off like playing and experimenting and basically escaping the the kind of horrors of our current reality and either you know going to the moon or to mars or just like literally like sacking off this reality and moving into the next one <laughs> um meanwhile there is so much work to be done in our current reality right like on our planet or whatever and i think we're seeing again kind of coming back to that um that point i think we're seeing like a real kind of polarization at the moment where we've got like deep intense like accelerationism and futurism about like what could all of this mean but then on the flip side you have also got loads of people in these communities who are genuinely using it for change so one of the best people that i saw talk is nadia from pussy riot so she formed a dao which is a decentralized autonomous organization also part of the web the web3 space and essentially a DAO, it's basically like everyone gets into it by paying for a token. And then once you're in it, you're basically a, a group chat with a shared bank account. And everyone who's in the group chat and paid to be in the group chat gets to vote on how where that big bit of money gets spent. So she tokenized um, the Ukrainian flag and then made it so that everyone, anyone could, could buy a chunk of it. And so basically... And then the flag ended up selling overall for, I think it was $7 million. And all of that money was directed directly to the Ukraine's crypto wallet. And it basically made it so that people in Russia, especially, could contribute to the Ukraine without um, fear. They could anonymously contribute without fear of um, rebuttal from their local government, right? So there we're seeing a way where really futuristic kind of technologies are being used to to help people on the ground in real ways and i think that's where some of the most interesting kind of um opportunity is in in web3 technologies but right now a lot of the media discourse around it is like ready player one we're all going to mars like uh, like can't wait till we can like have sex in vr or whatever it is that we're supposed to do in the future like yeah i don't know i think it's I think it's interesting because there are real world implications. It's just no one's talking about them because they're not that sexy. Yeah. And I think those, but that the example you gave there is we need more of those stories, right? To offset, um, to offset the negative or offset the sensational or offset the sort of, you know, when you first start telling that story, you say, okay, everyone, yes, you join the DAO and you have to buy a coin. Right. So initially it's like, Oh, I've got a, there's an entrance fee. There's a membership. It, for a lot of people, they find that off-putting. But then when you find out the flip of it, it's like, oh, well, that money you put in is going to Ukraine and, and to, to help war refugees and et cetera. It's like, oh, okay, that's great. That makes us seem mm. much more uh, not pop, you know, whatever the opposite of populist, right? It's not It's not this sort of fake, we're doing this for the people when it's really not. It's disguised as capitalism. And it's capitalism and imperialism mm. in disguise. This is actually something of, you know, people doing something mm. to help other people, um, which I think, you know, we need more of. And, and, you know, to your point about people, people going off to space and things like that, you know, A, what does it say? The three richest men on the planet are racing with each other to get the hell off this planet. What do they know that we don't know? But, you know, I, I think the next, whatever the next big thing, I think what would really be helpful and what really help Web3 and the metaverse go forward is like, whatever that next thing is, it's, it's gotta come from someone different. Like it can't come from a bunch of Silicon Valley guys. It can't 
comfortable budget tech bros because as we have seen they all they all turn into the establishment like I, I think facebook is the best example right think back when facebook started it was all you had to have a college the, the barrier entry was having a college email address which on face of it that is okay when it started yeah that was a huge thing you're basically cutting out a bunch of people who you know aren't in college they're not allowed in here so mm. you kind mm. of have this gatekeeping going on but at the same time Facebook was kind of a wild boy back then. Like, you know, all college kids, all pictures of your red solo cups, drinking and whatever. You look at Facebook a decade later and now it's very much the establishment. It's very much, you know, um, everything. It's, it, 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 it's the tech embodiment of a boomer, right? It's the tech embodiment of this guy. That lives, yeah. yeah. This lives, there's a guy that lives two doors down from me who has like, this truck with all his dead grateful dead bear bumper stickers and then election season <laughs> yeah. comes out election season comes around all his political signs are all far right yeah. republican conservative candidates and it's like yeah he used so to be weird. this fun guy in the 60s and now he's basically become everything mm. that he hated you know yeah, because it's proven, right, that as you get older, you get more conservative as well. But I think, I think that's, I think this is also a testament to the fact that just like um, the more I was actually just reading a book about influence, which talks about a similar thing which has happened to influence, and they were talking about like because I remember when I joined social media, I was on MySpace, I was famous on MySpace, which back in the day meant I had ten thousand friends, um, not like the millions that you need today to constitute being famous on the internet. And but like it was a place for outcasts, like the, the Internet as a whole and social media as yeah. a whole was was a place for. And like I, like this book was saying, and it really reminded me, like if you're big on MySpace, you didn't talk about it at school because people would take the piss out of you. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's, <laughs> whereas now it's the establishment and now, you know, the popular kids are the ones with the most followers. And, um, you know, like I, th- I think all of it kind of points to the same thing which is like any like the kind of the kind of golden question is like how do you become a a mainstream technology how do you become to achieve mass adoption and then not end up either basic or a boomer like you know I don't I don't know if it's it's possible and instead you just need to try and figure out coming back to one of the questions that you asked before Steve like basically figure out um when it comes to how you kind of enable people to belong and to feel included, like let sub factions of people and communities of people co like kind of co-opt your technology in a way that suits them and like leave them alone to just get on with it. But I think that's mm. the only way that yeah, I mean that's we can that's let, sort of, you know as soon as we try to govern everything. That, sorry, that was the very the fundamental nature of what we were talking about on the panel, which is about fandom. It's like you create it, you put it out there, and uh, and then it's not necessarily that you lose control of it, that but it it becomes public property, and a lot totally. of really cool, a lot of really cool things can happen with it. Um, I, I just want to, you know, we're almost out of time, and I I just want to make sure that I get to this this last point. You know, Sean, you said that. You know the the three richest guys in the world are in this race to 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 get the hell off the planet, um, which which is a great line. Like, what do they know that we don't know? But the fact is, they always come back. <laughs> mm. uh, at this at this point, they don't have any choice. They have to come back. And when they when they come back, they come back to reality, right? 
and and probably reality for those three is much different than it is for the the rest of the world. But um, one of the things I wanted to ask about was how do we mitigate against technologies continuing and sort of slippery ability to always skewer reality? You know, whether it's misinformation. Um, you know, if you look at at some of the campaigns Russia is running on um, on Ukraine. And um, in artificial intelligence, you know, which which in its own way creates its its own reality that might not have anything to do with physical reality, like the here and now, like what's what's right in front of you. It's a huge question. I, you know, I, I know that people were talking about it, but uh, I was just wondering, Sean and Laura, if you guys had any any thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm going to jump in here. I think one thing that I've I feel like the more the more these technologies kind of allow for the the kind of truth or perception to be manipulated, I think there's there's often a kind of um, desire for for brands to just kind of lean in wherever wherever they can, especially to kind of pull it back to you know what we we're, we're talking about for our clients. And I guess it's about like I feel like more now than ever there's just like a real call for like radical transparency, and that's what Web three is about as well, decentralization. And the ethos of decentralization is all about total transparency, no more opacity. Everyone can see where everything has been. If something is on the blockchain, if you can, you know, find someone who can help you open the block on the chain. I don't even, I don't, I clearly don't know enough about technology, but I know that the ethos behind it is all about transparency, right? That's really what kind of underpins it. And it's because, um, like, because of a kind of total fatigue with, with all of all of this and with um with feeling so separated and not really knowing like how the algorithms work or um you know like even if we look at was it i think Zelensky someone made a deep fake of president Zelensky from from the UK and really recently even stuff like this is just like there's so much like yeah kind of misinformation and polarization and opacity out there the transparency is really the only way and doing it even when it doesn't necessarily suit your bottom line all the time to do it. I think brands just need to work harder to make sure that they are telling the whole truth and, and nothing but the truth. And that's the only way that people will really kind of trust them. But, you know, people don't trust anyone right now. So um, brands are actually in a good position because people are literally looking to brands instead of governments to solve some of the world's issues because governments aren't doing a good enough job, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's ultimately the trust is the is the thing on a professional, personal level, brand level, an individual level, and I think part of the thing is you know you've got to you've got to give up on the notion if you even have that notion that you know what I see on the internet is real because and it's shocking to me how many adults still are to this day are like oh I saw it on on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Did you know that X, Y, and Z? And you know, they'll say it and you're listening and you're like, okay, because you saw it on the internet you really think that is a real thing. Um, I think you have to question as a consumer, you have to question the things that are uh, put before you. I think as a brand, you need to question how, you need to be very self-aware and really question how you know, every piece of content and every campaign and every tagline you throw, how it can potentially be perceived and also how it can potentially be twisted uh, and used against you. The other thing I think about that's related to this is just, uh, it's a bit of a, a human behavior, a human nature 
thing. Um, you know, social media, I, I believe it was Danny on the panel that we had South by was talking about how, you know, social media is not just something you do. It is, and I'm, I'm trying to butchering what she said here, but it's not just something you do. It's a behavior, you know, it's something that you're constantly like, Oh, I'm checking in on you. I'm checking in on social media in the same way people are, you know, doing any other action that they repetitively do. But one of the things I think we're struggling with as a society is this notion that like everything online and everything on social media is really as big and important as the internet tells us it is. And I, I think this kind of applies to everything from like what we're talking about here, metaverse web three, but also politics, social, cultural issues, you know, like, I mean, leave your laptop at home and take a vacation, right? I go somewhere with bad cell reception. Last year, last year we went up to Acadia National Park, stunning, gorgeous place, North Atlantic coast, just south of the Canadian border. Beautiful, great. Because the cell signal is terrible up there, I was off my phone for, you know, I think we're up there about a week, eight days, which was kind of the point of the trip was to go and take the family up, disconnect a bit. But the lack of phone reception like really kept me honest. Um, but the interesting thing was like, you know, in a week I spoke to a ton of people. There was other families that traveled with us, people we met up there that we knew, even random people that we encountered. And I left with this real striking feeling that there were so many things that I think about every day because I see the conversations about them all over social media day in and day out that I didn't talk about once. I did not talk about once. And like the things you think everyone is talking about because Twitter is talking about it, half the time, no one is talking about it in real life. Like no one is talking about it in real life. Um, and I think if we just take some time away, sometimes like away from the screens, you kind of realize that a lot of the things that, you know, that social media gets us all really worked up about, we think, you know, is, 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 is tantamount to our very existence. No one's talking about it. <laughs> like no one's. I, I this week in America, it's um, Supreme Court hearings. And if you go on Twitter, it's it's yeah. everywhere. No one. I, I I've yet to have a conversation also, with anyone in real life about it. Yeah, and I think also as well, you're allowed to disagree with people offline about these things without it turning into like an absolute like horror show. Like you can mm. meet someone who doesn't agree with you on that thing, and you just won't talk about it. So you'll just have a lovely time. And not have to talk about that thing and just discuss, I don't know, whatever the food is like where you are or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's one of the bad things about social media, right? It, it, it's definitely a breeding ground for, <laughs> for, for cowards and cowboys, I like to say. You know, everyone's very, very, very brave and opinionated on social media, yet, you know, they'll go to their parents' house and their, their, their father-in-law says the exact same thing that they've argued with someone for two days on Twitter about and they won't say anything. You know, because they want to keep their good social graces and, and all that sort of thing. It's not about trashing social. So, sorry, just one, one last thing. And then because I know we're out of time, but I think it's important to know that this isn't necessarily about trashing social so much as just like, um, I guess I feel like right now, culturally, and all of the themes that we discussed today talking about what we saw itself by, it's just that like, we need a bit of a reality check and a step back and to reconnect with some of the more human parts of ourselves so that we can use social and web three and all of these technologies in like a really responsible way. Yeah. And I, I think really what it's about is, you know, you can, you can have it both, uh, both ways. You can have social media, but you can also put your phone down and go for a walk or go on vacation 
with your family. And I, and I think that probably our next discussion ought to be about the beauties of reality. And we don't have to trash anything. We just ought to be able to talk about something about how cool it is to be in Sri Lanka or when's the rain going to stop in New Jersey or something like that. But because reality is pretty great too. So anyway, you've been listening to a special podcast, the joint podcast between Campaign US and PR Week US. I'm Steve Madden. I'm the general manager of Markets Business Media Group. And my guests, my, my awesome guests, as they always are, have been Laura Oxford, the global head of cultural insights for We Are Social, and Sean Francis, head of creative also at We Are Social. And don't forget that We Are Social is a plus company. Guys, thank you so much. This has been, uh, as I knew it would be, such a great, great conversation. You're both really smart, great talkers. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.